and welcome back to series three of Beauty from the Heart. I'm your host, Rose Gallagher, and in this series, I'm speaking to some of my favourite people who are igniting positive change with their actions and their words. Today, I'm talking to journalist, author and mental health activist, Bryony Gordon. Bryony has shared so much of her life's journey with her readers, from her experiences with OCD to alopecia or alcohol addiction, and essentially just encourages people to share their stories. Um, There's such a warmth from her because I just think she's happy to be herself. And so joining me today down the line, here's Bryony. Bryony, good morning. Good morning, Rose. How are you? Well, I'm very well. It's very rainy today, but I'm just throwing on the uh, waterproof soon and getting out for a walk. What's it like with you? Yeah, I mean, it's funny being asked on like a beauty podcast because... My self-care regime used to be pretty shoddy. Like I, you know, I got sober a few years ago and until then I I didn't take care of myself in any way. Do you know what I mean? Like I would slather on a load of makeup, but then I would forget to take it off and it would be on for like days. And And since getting sober, it's become a, it's like a real kind of, it's like it bookends my day. So I wake up and I do my little routine. And then at the end of the day, I, you know, I have my routine and it reminds, and I'm like, literally like, I can't believe it. I'm taking my makeup off or I'm, or I'm cleansing my skin. because <laughs> I don't wear makeup every day, but like it's, it blows my mind that I'm doing that, you know? Um, so like, obviously I cleanse and all of that jazz and put on my creams and, but then I like I like my it's like what is it? It's the body, it's the light salon. Uh it makes me look like Jason from Halloween. It's like a <laughs> it's like a molded mask. <laughs> I got sent it. I don't get sent many things, but for some reason the light salon chose me. They're chose delighted to send with me you. This boost mask. And I love it. Like, like it genuinely like it does make I feel a bit perk I look a bit perkier after using it, which is not that useful given that uh, I immediately go to bed but um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it does really relax me I don't know if it's like and apparently it's a real stress reliever LED light as well so yeah and then I also lie on like a shakti mat a bed of nails for like 15 minutes before bed oh my god I've never heard of one of those how do you lie on top of the bed or how does it work yeah, I lie on top of bed and I lie back and I look, and God knows what I look like. <laughs> Jason from Halloween lying on a bed of nails reading a book. <laughs> and my husband walks in and screams. He's got used to it now. Do you know what's funny though about that? Um, say as we've been adjusting to the new normal and yeah. you don't necessarily have a commute anymore. I think where for a lot of people, they'll think I'm going to get my makeup off before bed. I'm always quite happy to get it off a bit earlier in the day because I want to get my lenses out and just get it all, you know, glasses mm. on, hair in a bun. Um, but that for me is a mark of, okay, you've finished work for the day. You're going to close your laptop. You're going to take your face off and then you can relax for the evening. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't wear much. Uh, to be honest, I don't wear masses of makeup, uh, which isn't like, oh, I'm just so like natural. It's just that I can't, I, I'm like a bit lazy. And, and also because as you said, I don't, I haven't got anywhere to go at the moment. You know, I never really had anywhere to go in the first place. Like, you know, as, a, as an alcoholic in recovery, your social life t- tends to kind of like dwindle down, which I'm very happy with. 
Well, one of the things actually, um, I know since we've been here, you launched your new book. And I remember this one morning, it was when you were on with Lorraine, you were talking about kind of um, the perceptions of alcohol addiction. And a lot of it really rang true, Bryony, because I had an auntie that passed away. She was um, addicted to alcohol. And you kind of said there, I'm paraphrasing you here, but you said people have these misconceptions about alcohol addiction. And you think of it as this person drinking out of a brown paper bag on a park bench and it really doesn't present itself in that way for lots of people. And I've kept an eye on, you know, how you've been talking about the book. And I just think it's brilliant that you're changing the conversation around what people expect from an addict. Well, first of all, I want to say I'm so sorry about your auntie. And yeah, it is. That's the thing. It is. It's really pernicious, insidious disease and illness. And um, and that perception of an alcoholic kept me in alcoholism for quite a long time because I used it as a reason to justify my drinking. I was like, well, I'm not, you know, out on a park bench with a with a paper bag full of spirits. I don't drink every day. I mean, I drank every other day. Um, and I don't drink during the day, you know, um, I, I was very strict. I waited till my daughter was in bed and then, and then out the booze would come. And I thought because I had these rules that alcohol wasn't controlling me, but of course these rules were proof that it was. And it didn't really matter that I wasn't drink. I wasn't drinking all day, given that I was thinking about drinking all day. Yeah. Like my whole life was centered around when I could drink alcohol. So you know, if I had a work thing on a Tuesday morning, I knew I probably couldn't drink on a Monday night. So I had to drink on a Sunday. And, you know, in the end, it was like, it was, it was, it was the thing that was running my life, basically. I certainly wasn't running my life. And I knew that if I didn't do something, it was going to kill me. You know, it was either going to kill me because I was going to choose to kill myself or because I was going to choke on my own vomit or or worse, I was going to continue to live in this sort of groundhog day existence of anxiety where every morning I woke up and went, oh, I've done it again. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. As the day went on, I'm never going to do it again. And then it got to about 4 p.m. and it was like, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to I need to do it again because I have to do something to, you know, to numb the thoughts in my head. So it was like being in this sort of caught in this this awful trap. And when I wrote Glorious Rock Bottom, I really wanted to like I I've got a lot of the stuff that happened to me in my alcoholism. Like I've exposed that shame to the light. And so I don't you know, lots of people have read the book and gone, My God, that's that's brutally honest, some of the stuff you've written about. Yeah. And, um, and it you know, there are bits that are uh, and some people have said to me, God, that's very extreme. And and I want to say that to them, the stuff that happened to me was is not extreme. Yeah, it's quite normal. It, it's yeah. not normal, but it, it happens to it lots happens of people. It happens a lot, yeah. And yeah, we, we don't talk about it. And we don't talk about it because there's a kind of, I suppose, with alcohol, it's like it's this legally sold drug that you can get in a supermarket. And the government decrees that a stamp needs to be put on every bottle saying drink responsibly. And so when you can't drink responsibly, you feel very much personally to blame. And, you know, alcohol is a a depressant that masquerades really well as a relaxant. So it, 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 people get in trouble with it a lot. 
Um, and it is nothing to be ashamed of. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. I, and I wish more people would talk about it because it, it ruins people's lives. And it doesn't just ruin people's lives, but it ruins the lives of everyone around that person. You know, for each addict and alcoholic out there, you can bet your bottom dollar that there are at least another 10 people who are suffering because of their um, because of their addiction. And it's just so important that we talk about it. it you know, instead of pretending that it it's something that only happens to a specific group of people that we can, you know, we can yeah. sort of tell ourselves we don't have to look at, you know. And, of course, it is the guy on the park bench drinking from a paper bag. And this, those people should not be ignored. But it is also, you know, it affects everyone from every walk of life basically i mean i think that you are more likely to get treatment if obviously if you have like me or a white middle class woman you know um and i think that you know i'm one of the quote unquote lucky ones right and <laughs> i had to go you know through some pretty trying times before i could access help and obviously the help i accessed i paid for you know yeah the truth is in this country that if you have an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction, the government have outsourced alcohol and drug services to local authorities and they don't ring fence it. So the NHS is not providing any um, real alcohol or drug services, which is not the NHS's fault. It's just the way that um, the government have sort of farmed it out. And so they've sort of washed their hands of it, if that makes sense. They've just they've just said, well, we give you this money. You, you, you have to choose how much of it you spend on alcohol and drug services. And I don't know, I it makes me really angry because I, and that's why I talk about it, because, yeah, I was one of the lucky ones. But there are people all over this country that have no idea what to do or how to get help or how to access help. And I guess yeah. that's not just with alcoholism. It's with like all mental illness. Like we have a very clear set of um, protocols for what to do, don't we, when we are physically unwell. We know that, you know, of course. If, Rose, if you or I were to fall off, I was to fall off my chair right now and break my wrist, I'd go to A&E and I'd expect to get it in a cast and that would be the end of that they'd have a whole team ready to action it there and then yeah but but it's much more difficult to know what to do when you are in a mental health crisis or when you suspect someone you love is in a mental health crisis like there are no real clear protocols and also the provision is just hugely different depending on where in the country you live definitely and it's so frustrating because the likes of mental health or an addiction are things that arguably I feel like if you were to break your wrist, as you said, there's a pretty black and white procedure that would happen there to get you back to health. Whereas it's almost the things that require the most specialised care and the most attention to detail that have the fewest resources. Well, yeah, and that's why, you know, because actually the thing about mental health is it's much it's, it's much more difficult to quantify, right, than physical yeah. health and see the results of. It's not quite as instantaneous as physical health conditions. So that's, I suppose, part of the problem. And for you, Bryony, you have done so many things in terms of sharing your own story for one and, you know, the books that you've written, for example. Can you remember like a particular point or time that you felt, do you know something? I feel like there's not enough of a conversation about this and I want to be someone that is starting a conversation about this. It never, it didn't really happen like that. Um, 
I didn't plan any of this really. So I was a jobbing features writer um, at a newspaper at the Telegraph and I had a column and I was really unwell and um, I was crying at my desk and I, I have had obsessive compulsive disorder since I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tried to deal with it with alcohol and whatnot, you know, as most people do or many people do, I should say, not most. And, um, I, my daughter was 18 months old and my OCD was really attaching itself to her. And I was worried that I might do something to her and blank it out in horror. And it was that point where I knew that there were other people out there who had the same type of OCD as me. Yeah. You know, I knew intellectually, I kept hearing statistics about the one in four, you know, um, and I could read the sort of like medical notes on the type of OCD I had on the internet, but I couldn't find anyone who also spoke openly about having it. And so when I first wrote about it, it was kind of an act of desperation. It was like me raising the white flag and saying, I know that there are other people out there like me. Yeah. If Please you were make out yourself there known. And you were reading this, can we talk? Because you know, I want to know that I'm not mad or I am mad and that's okay, but I'm not bad, if that makes yes, sense. Yes, yeah. So that's how it all really kind of snowballed. It was 2014 I wrote that, but I'd already like, I'd already been writing other stuff. You know, I'd written quite honestly about the messiness of being a 20 something and, you know, but it was all kind of underpinned by this background thing of obsessive compulsive disorder and addiction that I didn't feel I could talk about. And um, so that's how I found myself today talking about this stuff to you. Um, (laughs) It's like, it's kind of amazing and totally unexpected. And hilariously, I feel like I'm going to make a sweeping generalisation here, but as a result of you having that moment where you made a gesture of, do you know what, I'd love someone to talk to about this... I would imagine that so many people come to talk to you now to share their journeys of how you have made them feel like they're reading someone that relates to them. Well, the thing is, is that through them sharing their journeys with me, I have got better. You know, I have found that, you know, the thing I've always said about all mental illnesses and what they have in common with each other is that they lie to you yeah, and they tell you you're a freak and they tell you that you're alone and they tell you that nobody's going to understand what it is you're going through. And they thrive much like abusers do. They thrive in a culture of silence. And so the moment that you um, kind of pierce a bit of that and get through it, you know, you're not immediately cured, but you're certainly on the road to recovery. So Every time someone comes to me and tells me about their experiences with OCD or depression, or it doesn't even have to be a mental health issue that I've suffered from, you know, when I hear about people that have experienced psychosis or, you know, and it, like it's that thing of knowing that, you know, I often thought that I was like the only person going through what I was going through at that time because it limits you. It, it you know, mental illness kind of keeps you inside you and it makes your vision, you know, your field of vision very small. So knowing that it's not just that someone understands what I'm going through right now, but there's someone out there who is also going through what I'm going through right yeah. now. Yeah. There is a sort of comfort in that. And I, and I think that the only way to increase mental health provision, to get, you know, proper treatment for mental illnesses is to talk about them because mental illnesses work by 
silencing the people that, that, that you know, which makes them sound like some like specific virus. Do you know what I mean? No, but, but it is true. Bit, it does have that. Um, it, it does have that power people. for sure. And I think especially, say, for instance, at the moment where a lot of us are physically isolated as well, yeah. those things can take even more power. And that's why, especially now more than ever, it's so important to have these conversations because we're not in a position that we might have been in six months ago to just pop and see a friend as easily as we were. Well, Rose, you're absolutely right. And do you know what I've realised? Like, I thought at the beginning of this that, oh, I quite like the fact that my diary is empty, right? And I don't have to see anyone because I think of myself naturally as quite like anxious, socially anxious person. But what actually that was, was like, it appealed to the gremlin in my head yeah because it meant I'm not connecting with people on a day-to-day basis as I as I would be and I'm not just talking about friends I'm talking about like chatting with the guy in the corner shop yeah chatting with my mate in the coffee shop do you know what I mean like definitely all those those little interactions and you know yesterday I went into town to have a meeting for mental health mates which is this peer support group I set up you know and I was kind of dreading going into town and having a meeting and having to come face to face with people and it's so funny because I woke up this morning feeling so energized by it and I got up and I like I wrote my column for tomorrow's newspaper before 8am I was like the more connection I have the more energy I have do you know what I mean and I was like God, I really I really needed that you know I really needed to have to run for the tube can I just say something Rose Go I've on. discovered if you have the choice between running for a train in a mask <laughs> and Go missing on. the train always choose to miss the train <laughs> But um, so, you know, so we do need that. And and I do think that we are in a, obviously, we're in a great public health crisis caused by coronavirus, but it's a public health crisis that is exacerbating many uh, pre-existing public health crises. Definitely. And I suppose it just is such a big reminder that the power of connection can be really powerful in helping to dispel especially some of the the loneliness that can come from having a mental health illness. My kind of general rule of thumb is that if I don't want to connect with anyone then I need to bloody well connect with people. (laughs) You know (laughs) yeah when I want to do it least is when I need to do it the most kind of thing. Like also if my brain wants me to do something I probably shouldn't do it. And if my brain doesn't want me to do something, we need to work the ante on that one. Yeah, I'm like, I don't want to get up. Get up. I don't want to go for a run. Go for a run. Go running. It's so true. My brain will still say to me, oh, do you know what? It'll be really nice right now. A nice (laughs) bottle of rose. And I have to go, no, brain. That is not good for me. You know, I have to constantly circumvent it. Do you know, just coming back to the sobriety, Bryony, Mm. so a friend of mine has been sober for two years now and she just felt like it was something that she wanted to do. She feels so good for it. Um, What what were some of the changes that you noticed in how you felt about yourself as a result of being sober? Did it change like your self-image or anything like that? Well, I like myself a lot more and I look after myself a lot more. I think I'm like, I, I I think I look better and better. You know, not that looking better is the aim of anything. It's about feeling better. Um, and I just, my life has been transformed by it. Like it genuinely is unrecognisable from how it looked when I was drinking. And I still, it still hits me. Like this morning I was walking down the street 
to drop my daughter off at school. And I remembered like that feeling of waking up and being like, oh, you know, what have I done? Yeah. And, and how, and sometimes you forget that, you know, you forget that that was how life was. And that just sort of being able to just, you know, bounce down the street at 8.30 in the morning and, you know, not be worrying about what it is you may have done the night before. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful that I was sober when this coronavirus thing hit. Yeah. I don't even know if I'd be alive, to be honest, uh, to even have experienced it. And it surprises me and it still takes my breath away now. Like I still have moments where I open the fridge and I'm like, oh my God, there's food in here. Or like I have a shower and I leave the house before 8am and I, I'm just like, I can't believe this. Or, or I'm taking my makeup off at the end of the day and I'm like, I'm taking my makeup off, guys. <laughs> this wouldn't have happened. I'm double cleansing everybody. <laughs> and I only learned properly about Mental Health Mates last week, to be honest with you, Bryony. I knew that Mental Health Mates was partnering with Becca. I love the Becca brand. But when I actually heard what the charity is all about, it's one of the best ideas I've heard of, I think, because it's so simple. Well, actually, it's really interesting because I came up with the idea of so mental health mates has been around for nearly five years and I I like was craving this thing before I even knew I needed it. But like yeah. so I so mental health mates came about because uh I was out running one day and I was listening to a podcast about this um writer called Carson McCullers and she wrote this beautiful book called The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. And she um, tried to kill herself many times and she very sadly died in her 50s of alcoholism. And on the podcast, there was this archive audio footage of her and she said, sometimes it feels like everyone is part of a we except for me. Yeah. And I thought that just sums it up, doesn't it? And I yeah. looked around me on my local common and there were like people playing football together. There were like those people doing military fitness together. And I was like, why is that not anything for people with mental health issues? Because we know that exercise is one of the only things that has been proven to be effective in, in, in raising mood. And so I kind of ran home and I said to my husband, I want to do this thing. And he was like, what if a load of nutters turn up? And I was like, that's the point. <laughs> and I sent out this tweet like does anyone want to meet up and go for a walk and we can just like talk about this our experiences and why don't we call it mental health mates and I said I'd be at this point on this date and it was it was Valentine's Day 2016 and um to my surprise 20 people showed up and then we just kept doing it and then word got out about it and then people elsewhere in the country got in touch and were like I want to do a mental health mates you know, and here I am, you know, all this time later talking to you about it. And it is interesting because I realized, like, obviously, you know, through the process of setting up mental health mates and meeting loads of people and being immersed in the kind of mental health community, I learned that I was an alcoholic. And it's it's so interesting that the more you kind of open yourself to this, the kind of solutions are there, you know. Um, yeah. And I guess mental health mates, it's, it's walking, it's being outside, uh, and I mean, obviously, that has been tricky this year because of uh, all sorts of COVID restrictions. But we are allowed yeah. to keep, you know, their walks are still happening. Um, you can go to our website, which is mentalhealthmates.com or our Instagram at mentalhealthmates. And if there isn't a walk in your area, you can set one up. And we've got all the resources for you to do that. And very soon, 
we are also going to be partnering with an amazing mental health charity to provide like quite extensive training for each walk leader. So it's not ever supposed to be therapy, but it's so that they are given lots of information that they can then give out to their communities. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited. Sorry. And, um, <laughs> and so when companies like Becca you know, get in touch and say, we would love to partner with you. It's like, whoa, you know, this is, it's not necessarily what you would expect, you know, makeup brands to be doing. And I don't really know why, because people that wear makeup have mental health issues. And they said, how about we sell a limited edition version of the under eye concealer in Space NK that is a special mental health makes one. And we decided to go out to the mental health makes community and basically ask people to apply to design this limited edition pot. And it's got that special sort of mental health mates element to it. It's really cool. But also the other thing about it is that this under eye concealer, like I genuinely used it before Becca got ever got in touch with me. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and you only need a tiny bit of it. So as I said, I don't wear much makeup, but what makeup I do wear is that. And it's, it's just those little things you can do to kind of like, you know, help yourself throughout the day, little acts of self-care. And it doesn't have to be putting on a concealer, you know, it could be anything. It could be locking yourself in your room for 10 minutes and breathing deeply, do you know what I mean? But it means a lot to have a big company like Becca, you know, that are owned by Estee Lauder. But it's also, you know, Becca is very diverse. It's you know it, it just ticks all the boxes for what we're doing and you know what I really think that it's great to have a link between mental health and something like makeup because I know that this conversation is a bit of a double-edged sword because like say for instance one of my best friends Bryony he loves that I'm a makeup artist he's always my biggest cheerleader and he really is very supportive but he's also the first person to be like these brands are just selling you stuff and all these brands are just telling you there's something wrong with you and that you need to buy this to be right and I'm always like I I really don't believe that of everybody I think that for lots of people that little act of doing something nice for yourself can hugely impact your mood and like I'm not saying that anyone should feel that they have to but like say for me for example I've got rosacea my cheeks are always really red I can walk around the house and whenever I catch the mirror sit there and go oh look at your skin today or I can put five minutes of makeup on and whenever I catch the mirror think god doesn't that eyeshadow look lovely and I personally will always choose option b (laughs) well let's not beat around the bush there are some companies that feed on women's insecurities definitely but that's changing a lot you know and women are showing that they will not buy like i do not buy products that tell me that they will get rid of my cellulite no neither do i that is total bullshit that's bullshit but also i don't need to get rid of my cellulite you know the products i buy are ones that just make me feel like i am like looking after myself And, you know, I also think that you mess with the beauty, you belittle and you undermine the beauty industry at your peril, as we have seen this year. Do you understand me? Yeah. And there are lots of people that are very sniffy about it. And and they do think beauty industry equals money pot made from from patriarchal attitudes that make women miserable, right? And that's just not fucking true. (laughs) Anyway, so I, I, um, you know, I'm so happy about men 
mental health mates and Becca and I also just never honestly Rose I never imagined that mental health mates would you know get to this point and it is is purely because of the war leaders and the hard work they do so I just want to like take this opportunity to big them up and you know and to thank everyone that goes on the walks as well because every time I'm really I'm a strong believer of this that every time someone stands up and says I am a human be- being who suffers from a mental health issue. They're like being mini, they're being mini activists. Like, yeah. you know, they're standing up and making themselves be seen. And the more that we are seen and the more that we are heard, the more likely we are to be able to ha- hold um, the government and other people in positions of power accountable. So um, it's, it's a special thing. Now you're so great at putting yourself out there and helping to kind of raise these issues and start these powerful movements I just think it's brilliant that you are so open Bryony um if you're looking at the beauty industry as a whole who are some of your favorite people that you think are doing good things it's something I ask everyone that comes onto the podcast I've discovered this like tiny little uh Korean brand called Thank You Pharma that I do the best SPF ever oh I've never heard of them I'm gonna have a look for them back to 50s water sun cream and it's funny because I can't read the instructions at all because obviously (laughs) I'm not fluent in Korean but it's very straightforward really it's SPF so I love I love that what else um I'm obsessed with Caroline Byron's yeah uh I am a member of her Facebook group oh that group Um, is quite the read (laughs) isn't it it's hysterical I love it I also a friend of mine's wife has created this company called Batch 001 right and they do like this lovely prickly pear seed oil and it's all like 100% 100% organic, cold pressed here in London. Do you know what I mean? Oh, lovely. It's really fantastic. I mean, I could tell you just what I use. Go on, then... go on. I want to hear what you use. I'm going to be nosy now and want a little delve into the makeup bag. <laughs> so to, so uh, on a day-to-day basis, and you can tell me if I'm doing this wrong, I use like the Drunk Elephant Sea Firma. Ooh, and, then yeah. I use, and then I use the same, the eye version of that. Yeah. And then I put on... I put on the molecular multi nutrient day cream from Allies of Skin. Uh, can I just tell you, I only do this because Space NK sent it to me. I can't <laughs> like, because I'm that kind of person. I'm like, I'll just use whatever I've got. And then I put on the Thank You Farmer. And then at night, I'm using that Emma Hardy. The cleansing balm. Yeah. That is such then, a lovely ritual, isn't it? It's very relaxing, yeah. that balm. And then I use... Um, glow tonic oh love a bit of glow tonic that is an absolute classic and then I like shake my routine up so like one night I'll put on a bit of retinol and the next night I use my favorite thing that I just buy anytime I go on Ryanair (laughs) which is alpha h liquid gold oh yeah that is that is quite the remedy isn't it I love a bit of alpha h and then I use the drunk elephant shabba complex eye serum because my friend Bella Mackey said that it was really good so I bought it because I'm like that I'm like if you tell me something's good I'll go and get it (laughs) do you know what though that's what we all do and it's nice when someone you trust has recommended it to you and it's ultimately that thing that just makes you feel really good at the end of the day or the beginning of the day and oh and also I've just discovered like this shampoo that I keep seeing people 
post about on Instagram. And again, if I see like Lily Allen posting about something, I'm like, oh, it must be good. I must buy it, <laughs> you know? And I, and I got it and it's, oh God, it's like a shampoo called um now let me just get up the proper name of it ah yes diziac d-i-z-z-i-a-k the hydration wash my god it's amazing and it's and it's it's the like i think it's the first shampoo ever for like every hair type well, do you know what I like about this list? Half of them I haven't tried or used and I'm going to be investigating them as a matter of urgency, Briony. It's also, it's vegan. Lovely. Well, Briony, as one last little thing that I would just love to have your thoughts on, I always think of you as this person who is just so happy and bubbly. It's a very inspiring thing to see someone just be absolutely themselves every day. I saw you do something, I don't know if it was yesterday or one of the days, and you said, do you know what? I needed to do this video and I was going to put a load of makeup on to do it. And then I thought, no, I can't be bothered. And that <laughs> is exactly what we should all be doing. Um, if there's someone listening who, you know, it's been a hell of a few months, I don't think any of us are quite feeling ourselves or quite right at the moment. What tips do you have to just put someone back on the track to feeling great in themselves? Okay, so I want you to think of the um, depression or anxiety that you have in your head or the the not kind of the, the, the bit that feels like you're not yourself. Yeah. As like, imagine it as like invasion of the body snatchers, like some aliens come in and they don't want you to get better. So you need to you need to imagine that in your head there's this kind of like, bad thing and you need to do everything you can to kind of like fight it and you basically I think you need to do the opposite of what you instinctively want to do and that doesn't mean do things that you don't want to do you know what I mean like yeah. that doesn't I'm not you know there might be times when you really don't want to go out and see loads of people because guess what when you have anxieties but it's like taking it really easy and you know forcing yourself each day to do a couple of things that you don't want to do but you know are good for you I think it's a really um good way to get started and it's kind of taking control of those little things and I I also think that you know it's just connecting with other people like even if you don't want to just force yourself to do it get out the house um you never know when the miracle's going to happen and we never know what's around the corner and if this year has proved anything it's that and just as quickly as something awful can happen just as quickly something amazing can and you need to hold that because uncertainty can be really difficult, but it also means, and Matt Haig says this a lot, it also means that, um, you know, you're uncertain when the good stuff's going to happen. So hold on in there and you can do it. And the other thing I think is really important that we sometimes feel like we're failures because we feel in a, you know, ways when we feel anything other than happy and we're not, we're just humans going through the normal range of human emotion and it's okay to do that do you know what I mean like you do not have to be energetic and up every day do you know what I mean in fact it's probably a good thing if you're not you know and so you know just accept you for who you are you know in all your complicated wonderful glory Bryony, thank you so much for joining me today you've been so fab um tell us where we can find you and what we can expect when we do you can find me on Instagram at Bryony Gordon, B-R-Y-O-N-Y, 
Gordon like the gin. Um, <laughs> uh, and when you find me there, I'm usually like hanging around in like my underwear, but like not sexy or I'm talking about mental health stuff. And Mental Health Mates, you can find it at Mental Health Mates and www.mentalhealthmates.com. Brian, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day. You too, my love. Thank you so much for listening and a big thank you to my producer Ella for putting that together for me. I hope you enjoyed. You can reach out at Rose Gallagher on Instagram. I'd love to hear your thoughts and I'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care.